So as always, thank you for joining me. Enjoy the podcast. Kick back and relax. The force is strong and is with us always. And never forget. We have hope. Rebellions are built on hope. of this moment the force is strong make ten men feel like a hundred I'll take the next chance and the next you're rebels aren't you You call it the Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Yo, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. So Boba Fett stole his armor from the Mandalorians. They're like a warlike race who fought the Jedi 3,000 years ago and like almost won, but eventually got their asses kicked. They're the jetpacks. They're the armor and the jetpacks. That's the... Is Boba Fett a Mandalore? Or no, is he, he a fucking killed the Mandalorian and stole the armor. They hate, they hate him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be cool if that wasn't what they did? And instead, they made him a cool, interesting alien. Oh, he's going to be in this person. series, one hundred percent. They're they're definitely going to bring him in. Yeah, I was just thinking. I was actually just thinking back how how disappointing it is that he's not an alien and it's just a dude. That's the uh, lamest uh, choice. How disappointing it is that he literally does nothing and could have been replaced by any character whatsoever. We'll say it again. He literally does nothing of, of import that couldn't have been done by any other character. Yeah, well, he's flavor, man. It was great flavor. That's exactly why they didn't need to go back to him for prequels. We don't need to go into those horror I guess. Movies. I, I think overrated characters that look cool but do nothing, it's Boba Fett versus Captain Phasma. And Boba Fett wins just because of classic level. Phasma yeah, arguably does more than Boba Fett, which is not saying much. Sure. Boba Fett's got a backpack. Phasma ain't got shit. Phasma got, Phasma got a shiny finish, and I like Game of Thrones or whatever, so, you know, great. But no, nah, come on. You can't touch Boba Fett. But Boba Fett's whole point was that he was just background dressing. Like, that was great. That stuff gave life to the universe. But then when you try to, like, make them into a real character, it's like, wait, what are you doing? He's just a guy who waits around for after the garbage goes. Like, just chill out. Everyone chill the fuck out. And he's definitely not a clone, son. Anyway, whatever. Moving on. <laughs> he's the genetic sp- no, spawn. The clones are the genetic Those spawn. Those things don't exist. And none of it's here's true. the here's the thing and talk and this is the problem by the way welcome ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzlecast to the Bizzlecast I'm Hi. definitely putting the previous three minutes in with Adam talk one of my good friends Adam it's so great to have you here of course we talk Star Wars when we swore to oh, each other it. we wouldn't so let's fucking not talk Star Wars let's not talk it let's not talk Star Wars so dude it's w- that it, but that was a great tease by the way people are gonna be like oh, oh does he like Boba Fett like oh. um so uh yeah dude so i'm making my bones on star wars these days was exactly reason to not do it but we are going to talk about some amazing sci-fi properties actually that some of which i knew you liked but weren't as passionate about some of like star trek discovery which is going to be a main part of our discover uh discussion which i've literally only talked on one podcast uh so far but not in any like real um sort of satisfying detail but first of all adam tuck my old friend from college we've been friend literally whew, 17 years this fall so about 17 years ago almost oh to this God. day no it would have been like oh a month God. ago because we no. experienced 9 yeah. 11 together yeah 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 i was gonna say yeah Holy. hey you want to know if we're close we experienced 9 11 together that you can't beat that <laughs> oh shit we were we were in the same room man oh yeah we just were 
And we I don't know what to say. We were, we were having fun for two weeks, big, lots of fun. And then some really unfun stuff happened, but we bonded because of it. I mean, we would have bonded anyways, but certainly the trauma of the situation, the fact that even though you and I are not like many of our friends were from New York at the time, um, that was just, Man. just awful. Yeah. I've blocked part of it out of my memory, but I have very strong feeling of certain moments. It's all coming. It's all coming back to me now. Do you want to, do you want to hear about that or do you want to move on? Well, I, I think it would be an interesting starting point. So guys, just really quickly. So Adam Tuck was on two of my earliest podcasts back when he was humoring me and just being a great friend. And, and no, 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 no. But no, the fact on. that we had great conversations about both lord of the rings combined with yes i did all three extended edition lord of the rings commentaries which are like my first oh my major God. commentary project i've done a ton since then but that combined with that with our discussion and then our matrix discussion where you sort of walked us through the ups and downs and middles of the original matrix movie which was super fun uh before i dropped my my horribly like maybe the worst sound ever matrix reloaded commentary which i have removed from the internet not because it's matrix reloaded but because the sound is so bad it's embarrassing um, but that was an amazing conversation. Anyways, we've been talking this stuff for a while. Tuck and I used to watch Ghost in the Shell. But what I was going to say, man, to connect to the depressing 9-11 thing was how interesting is it that um, uh, both the original Lord of the Rings movie, Fellowship of the Ring, and the first Harry Potter movie both came out in the fall following 9-11, made a ton of money, and launched major what? franchises that were super escapism. Yeah. 2001. Mm-hmm. They both came the out. The first Harry Potter was 2001. Yeah, they were about three years apart. Actually, Harry Potter 1 crossed the billion mark. Fellowship made like 800 um, uh, million. And of course, they went up each movie, which never happens with trilogies. I, I, I think is, is underlooked that even the original Star Wars trilogy went down per movie. Lord of the Rings is the only trilogy ever to go up in money per movie. But people were so ready that. for that. Yeah, go ahead. I um, I'm almost certain I saw it in high school. I can't believe that. Maybe I just went home for the summer or something. It's weird. Um, anyway, well, the books. No, no. So what happened with Harry Potter, which is obviously way different than Lord of the Rings, um, is that Harry Potter books started coming out in like I don't know. I want to say ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight, um, and but then the movies caught up to the books eventually. Um, yeah because they were doing them they did every 18 months for uh for eight movies but harry potter and the sorcerer's stone was released uh november 16th 2001 it made oh um uh 974 million dollars uh worldwide <laughs> and the fellowship of the ring came out december 19th so on christmas basically a month later 2001 made 871 worldwide on a budget of you're going to shit yourself with the $300 million like Justice League and Star Wars budgets. Fellowship of the Ring was made on $93 million, which is like impossible to believe that they accomplished that. But we, we need to just recount this story too. briefly, even though we talked about it way back three years ago, which is that you and I immediately bonded in college because we were both nerds, but having something specific like the trailer from the Fellowship of the Ring, which was, let's be honest, one of the first like HD hd trailers we could download and watch off right of itunes can you, off just, of the itunes trailer store or whatever the fuck it i'm was sure you remember three years ago as vividly as i do but very quickly could to show business listeners how, how close we got how quickly just recount the story of us bonding over fellowship of the ring that first year in college well i would say my recollection of it goes thusly it was mm -hmm. basically 
we were um i don't know how comfortable you are talking well oh, I'm, I'm, we, uh, i am i am all out there the comfort level is totally okay, on your right, end. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so I'm you're getting high people and, know my uh, politics my drug habits mental illness <laughs> it's all out there baby yeah yeah baby Woo! <laughs> um i'm a truth teller i will burn in hell telling the truth go ahead I, I especially I especially love uh, the last part. Actually, I think talking about um, talking about mental illness is actually wonderful, and I'm really glad that to hear you say that. But anyway, that's not here nor there. What I was going to say is that. By yeah, the way, people, sorry, really quickly, Tuck and I are actually video conferencing, which we used to do, and I haven't done it all since we used to. But apparently, the Skype feed works better on a video conference, and I want to see his beautiful bearded, robed face and body. Uh, God, I are you good a, looking? Only in a bathroom. You're like Harrison but, Ford. You get well, better looking as you get older. That's. <laughs> true <laughs> i actually it's true for me currently we'll see there, there's gonna be a steep drop off once the hair actually like goes goes yeah but right now it's like holding on to like where it's receded and it's just like hanging so it's like all right let's just keep it there see how long we can do this so anyway my, my narrative is getting fucked but we were playing backgammon eating hummus also and, known uh, as Sheshbesh, Shesh of course, Bash. excuse me. Mm-hmm. The and classic you, uh, Arab-Israeli sport of <laughs> chance and rolling sport. dice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right, sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you then said to me that, hey, man, did you know there's like going to be a Lord of the Rings movie coming out? I think we had started to talk about the books or it somehow come up, some kind of reference. And I was like, it's like, oh, no way. That's probably going to be bad, right? And you were like, yeah, but the trailer actually looks kind of good. I was like, really? And you're like, yeah. And this is when we had to go on to iTunes or iMovie. What what was it? It was like QuickTime Player th- or Quick it might have been Real Player, Real Time. I think it was we just know, straight up download the QuickTime file from the website. Remember, you used to have to go to Apple.com. You go to Apple.com, like, but no, but this was, I think the Lord of the Rings website was one of, after the Matrix, was one of the like first advanced kind of movie websites. So I think, yeah, I think you had it from Apple at that point. But it's not, possible that was the met. first year, Apple. Yeah, go ahead. Not, not in September. In September, you and I had mm-hmm. to do this thing where we oh, God. were going and downloading it off like, like the, the QuickTime page. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started like watching them, and we'd see what things looked like, and it felt pretty good. And we were kind of started growing very cautiously optimistic and starting to, uh, starting to gain traction and sort of start to obsess over something together. And then I think we were pretty... Did we see it together before? Um, like before we went back home for the holidays? Yeah, I mean, I... Um, oh, oh, the movie? Oh, yeah. We saw it opening weekend at that shitty-ass theater on Main Street. Absolutely. Yeah, baby. We were like three rows back. And I... I, I <laughs> I have only one strong memory. We talked about this when we first talked about this at the podcast three years ago, which is when the Balrog showed up on the screen, you and I just looked at each other and this is so nerdy, but I feel like our friendship was locked forever at that moment (laughs) because we didn't even have to say is like true love. We didn't have to say anything because you and I were in love with what was going on on screen and that was it. Yeah. That's the best one of their like 3d effects that they have. God damn. Hmm. So, dude, so guys, so Adam and I also love watching Ghost in the Shell in college. We're going to talk some Blade Runner. We're going to talk some Star Trek Discovery. Uh, we're going to talk some maybe like Ex Machina, other AI properties, etc. as they relate to all that. But man, I have to ask you because this comes up in my Star Wars podcast all the time, which is when you look at Return of the Jedi and you look at some of the Lord of the Rings, I know that, that was, that's a big gap. 
but I look at Return of the Jedi and the best of the Lord of the Rings special effects. And I don't think Marvel, DC, or even Star Wars is hitting on some of these levels, even though Return of the Jedi is 30 years old and, and, and Lord of the Rings was on a tiny, relatively tiny budget back in, you know, the late nineties. I see some green mm. screens. So, you know, the green, you know, the, you know, when they're running through Moria and Aragorn jumps towards the screen with Frodo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, over the gap. That's a very clean green, clear green screen. But from that moment on in Lord of the Rings, it's almost flawless. And maybe I'm just biased because we saw it back then and it looks so great. But I look at movies from back then and even now, and you look at like the Rathars and Force Awakens, some of the like, or monsters and like the Star Trek movies or the Star Wars movies, what they don't even to, look that good. What's a Rathtar again? That's the thing that Ray and Finn let out by accident and with Harrison Ford on oh, the, yeah, the, yeah, the cargo yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on no, Solo, that's... you're the dead man. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole bad scene. Um, Wrong again, Solo. <laughs> I love that. <sighs> But the rest, um, yeah. Go ahead. I I would say I would say that like the some of the effects are still pretty bad, especially in the Return of the King. So. Um, Fellowship tried to do things that were a lot more practical, and so they did, and they did them practically, and they actually shot them. So like it was much more forced perspective, much less a bunch of CG bullshit. Um, there's mm. still some like big tracking shots of like dudes running through the mines of Moria that like now if you go back and look, you're like, eh, okay. But in general, like they had, they knew to keep most of their effects in the darkness. But the forced perspective still works for me most of the time, even if I know it's CGI. That's what normally takes me out is like a mix no, of it, things it was, that look like two to two and a half D to three D. Because, no, no, no. but but it's because you know what? Uh, sorry, the the right the, the yeah. Sorry, I misused the term. But what I'm saying is, what is Peter Jackson known for? Whether you love him or hate him, is close ups. He's constantly close up on individual characters, right on their face or on the yeah. group. But it's smart because when you're running through Moria, if you do 90 percent of it right on the face, and the background can be blurry, I mean that's called making films. And, and, and you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> well, all right. No, I'm just mean like some of the the far away shots. Yeah. I'm talking about. Okay, that, but, that's where you okay. see the model. Let me let me let me let me let me uh, let me saute this question a little bit uh, on level eight on the stove here, which is for ninety three million dollars a movie, basically for under three hundred million, this entire project in New Zealand. Fan, first of all, we haven't seen a fantasy of this level. I'm sorry. I know people love Game of Thrones. That's great. It doesn't look as good or epic. doesn't feel as epic as the movies. The Lord of the Rings movies had no business being as good or looking as good at the time as they are. And narratively, I still think they hold up. In fact, if the CGI gets slightly you know, less good over time, I actually think some of like the cornier, quote-unquote cornier drama parts work for me better. And this is my thing with Star Wars, too, is over time, if there's real heart and soul and great performances and great interactions, the cliches just kind of melt away from me in the whole experience. And I think that's why people love the Lord of the Rings movies generally as a whole. And like I said, is one of the only trilogies or three movies arced in the history of film to make more money and get better reviews e- each movie um, in terms of the press. I mean... It's just so insane when you think about it. Like, uh. Well, what, what I was going to just add earlier, and then we'll, we'll move on to some other properties, man, because we've talked this before, is... That's why I love the two towers is because it's framed around a very, very, very practical battle at, at Helm's Deep. And... 
I, I love the two towers in the books. You know, I've talked about how I love that they split the stories in the, you know, I'm like the only one that likes that book three and book four totally separate in the Lord of the Rings. I know they couldn't do it in the film. Um, but because of Smeagol's stuff, confronting himself and then turning evil again and then the whole thing with Helm's Deep and, and Rohan, you know, which we discussed, you know, you're more interested in the Gundorians, I'm more interested in the Rohirrim. Um, but do you still love Fellowship of the That's Ring true. the best? And, uh, yeah. and yeah, and I would just, uh, as a final question, as a bridge, because we started talking Lord of the Rings way back in the day with the Bizzle Castle getting started, final question, then we're going to move into Star Trek, which I'm really excited to talk with you about, um, is why Fellowship is still your favorite. Um, forget the CGI. Like what what, what? 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 No! 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 I I, I think it looks great in three movies. I'm just saying. Art, from art your direction is a part of it. Actually, yeah. art direction, taste, and level of extravagance is part of it. More was practical there, and it felt like it held to the spirit better. But the other thing is that I just think that the world building is be- mm. is better there. I feel like mm. there's more potential, and I feel more of a sense of what the universe is in that movie. Yeah. Um, and it's more. And from a from an irrelevant but subjectively very powerful perspective, um, it felt more in line with what I was expecting and what I believed that the world to look like. So we were just more aligned on the vision. Um, for example, I actually was just talking about this with a friend, uh, thinking about the idea of how amazing would it have been if, like, imagine all of um, Return of the King was not fought on a like soundstage, <laughs> essentially, but was instead fought on one terrain that actually has some elevation changes but two in darkness right you have all these clouds coming over and blotting out the sun imagine that this whole thing is like done in basically complete darkness and what a more moody and like oppressive and frightening thing they could have done with it it could have been it could have been pretty amazing um so there's little things like that where just Mm -hmm. like things are a little bit too well lit and a little too gray in some of the others and i feel like uh, fellowship really hit a couple things like the all the Nazgul are like more like horror creatures that like mm-hmm. you're not you're not you're actually going to go toe to toe like they're very like dangerous and they're like this force of dread and some mm-hmm. of that starts to get lost eventually. So anyway, so, so well, no, the world building. And this is a great transition to Star Trek, which does world building so well. Which is, you have Hobbiton, mm-hmm. you have Bree, you have Mirkwood, you have the Misty Mountains, you have fucking Rivendell, you have Moria, you have fucking uh, Galadriel, um, Lothorian, Lothorian. You have yeah, the, right. you have the fucking rivers and the ancient kings, the statues. I mean, it, 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 it yeah, yeah. I, it, it's, yeah. It, it I don't know. I, I do look like the Lord of the Rings in parallel to the original Star Wars trilogy, and you know, like in some ways, you could never top a New Hope because of how fucking radically revolutionary it was. I to me, the Two Towers for me is like my Empire Strikes Back. I love the middle movie mm-hmm. in, in most trilogies, as you know. I like the Matrix Reloaded a lot as well. But and even in trilogies that are agreed to be good across the board, it's usually the middle movie that I like, which is why I'm so amped for Last Jedi. We're not going to talk about that, um, but uh, you know what I mean. So, um, anyways, my dude, I've been talking a lot, so I want to throw this to you because. I've been wanting to get Adam on for a while and I was just like, throw me a bone of pop culture here. I know you're like way too married and busy and employed and cultured. (laughs) And you're like, have you seen that Star Trek Discovery show? I'm like, yes. All right, we got something. I was not going to watch Star Trek Discovery, man. I was fucking pissed at the whole idea of paying for CBS All Access when I don't care about anything about CBS. It's garbage. 
But my contributor, who loves two things, DC Comics and Star Trek, Matt Goisman from Wesleyan, who is the cheapest <laughs> fucking Jew on the planet. I mean, me and him are both cheap fucking Jews, but he's even more principled than me on these things. Like, I'm not going to... He was like, dude, I started watching Star Trek Discovery. It's actually really good. And he's seen it all. He's even seen, like, Enterprise and all the Voyager episodes, even though he hates a lot of it. Like, he's seen everything, the original episodes. He's seen he's the seen whole Enterprise. thing. Yeah. He's in the whole thing. And he was like, I've seen most of Voyager, but I was watching it on TV. Okay. So here's where I want to start. So I shut up. So we're going to talk about Star Trek Discovery, I think exceeding both of our expectations and talking about some of the cool parts about it and maybe some critiques. Definitely. We've never really talked Star Trek before. So this is actually new to me. And you can tell the Bizzlecast, which is when did you become interested in Star Trek? Which properties do you like? And how did you get to this point? Go, Adam, talk. Good point. All right. So, I mean, you and me are roughly the same age. So I think we're going to be both next gen children. Yes. Yes, sir. Yeah. Captain Picard's my captain. Uh, Next Gen is my Star Trek. Um, Are you uh, so excited about the Picard series? Because I'm fucking so excited. I'm, I am, but it's the same thing like... Sorry, keep I'm going, afraid keep of, going, keep going. I'm keep afraid going. We'll of touching that. the I'm afraid of touching, we'll you know, the thing that yeah, was already good, I agree. I agree. you know? But okay. but Patrick's too. Peace too. He's also a knight of the English throne and one of the yeah, greatest he's actors really of all time. Good. Yeah, he's so really it'll good. Be good. Anyway, go ahead. It'll be it should be good. I, I have a, I, there's a I'm chance. thinking it's going to be like the Logan of Star Trek, which I'm very excited about cuz he was fucking amazing in Logan. But anyways. He was very good. Okay. Logan. When did you start watching Star Trek? Uh pro oof. I mean, I don't know exactly when, but like it was just on at my house. You know, it's like we're back in the day when there are like seven channels you can actually watch because I did not have cable. So uh, on one of them on UPN, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Uh, there was a next gen and uh, it started coming up and I enjoyed that very, very much. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I mean, I must have been. I guess I don't know how old I was never obsessed with it, but it was just something that was always fun to watch. And then, um, yeah, I never, I never like got like deep into it in any kind of way. And I never, uh, put on like a, a blue or a red or a yellow outfit, uh, <laughs> or any shit like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, it was always sort of in the background and then, um, uh-huh. you know, DS nine came out. I actually watched a decent amount of that, but, uh, it holds up. Great. I think eventually, eventually it, it grew on me, but like, I was kind of like, what the fuck is this pretender to my Trek? Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then Voyager, I actually remember my father having probably inappropriate, uh, fascination with seven of nine. Um, Oh yeah. That- Jerry Ryan still looks gorgeous, <laughs> yeah. still acting, still looks amazing. She's awesome. She's, she's actually super movies? cool. Yeah. She's super cool. Huh. Yeah, she's been on like the CW it. show. She does little, little parts on like network shows here or there. She she looks okay, great. She's TV, okay. super cool though. She's awesome and like she's totally aware of what she was. You know what I mean? But in people's fascination with her, and she just doesn't doesn't give a fuck. You know, she's she's actually good buddies with Will Wheaton actually, and uh, oh, was yeah, on his tabletop show, God. and they were hilarious together talking about all the crazy stuff they went through as a, you know Star Trek three camera TV show. But anyways, go ahead. Mm. Yeah, nuts. Uh, and then once once Enterprise came out, I was kind of off the boat. And um, well, funnily enough, actually, what I think probably got me into it was I listened to a lot of uh, Maximum Fun podcasts. You you may have heard of that network before, Jesse. I have not. I only listen to myself because I'm a horrible narcissist. Okay, wait, are you being serious about not knowing what Maximum Fun is? No, I don't, honestly. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. Okay, well, 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 this is another conversation. We won't do that on air. But, I also um, don't literally know what Maximum Fun is. I've never experienced yeah. Maximum Fun. Okay, okay. Yeah. Maximum Fun is a podcast network that pretty much has every single property that, uh, like, all the ones that I love. <laughs> 
like love love you will you will very much enjoy these shows very very much like from the flop house to um the adventure zone yeah okay so i know this oh, by the way yeah did I tell you I watched I watched uh, my brother and brother and me live uh, on Friday night? What's that? You also what? Brother? My brother, my brother and me. I caught them live in Portland. I don't know who that is. Uh, it's the same guys from Adventure Zone. They, oh, they okay. started with an advice podcast where they give you terrible advice. It was very oh. lovely. I like that idea. I do that sort of incidentally on my podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Uh huh. Um, so, anyways, guys- Adventure Zone and Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, sorry. So, uh, also on the show is a thing called The Greatest Generation, where these two idiots um, who, um, I don't know how they got started, but they just said, like, two guys uh, two guys that are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast is, mm-hmm. their, um, is their calling card, which I'd loved. Because if you're, like, too into it, it's, like, really, like, upsetting and it's not something you want to be a part of. But if you, like, love it but are also kind of like, oh, man, Star Trek, it's a little dorky. Then, you know no, what? You're really gonna, These you're days... Really gonna, like, with cosplaying and right. furries, where's the line? If you're not directly harassing or co- doing something horrible to someone else, I feel like everything's in play, right? For better or worse. <laughs> I just, I just appreciate these two people being a little bit yeah. of adults who are like, yeah, this, yeah. this is a little bit embarrassing, uh-huh. and, and just understanding that they yeah. don't want to necessarily talk about it with other adults. Yeah. And from that perspective, was one where I could really like yeah. re-engage. And then through them, they started mentioning about this new fucking show. I never would have even heard about it otherwise. But um, I heard that this discovery thing was out there and they started uh-huh. talking about it and actually liking it. So I was like, oh, fuck it. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll pay stupid money to these assholes at CBS. And, um, and then uh, despite the rockiest possible start. Yep. Oh, sorry. Hold on a second. Despite the rockiest possible start, I think mm-hmm. the opening scene of Discovery is the worst scene in the entire series. I cannot believe they kept it. Wait, which you were talking about? The them, Where the, the two main characters walking around in the shape of a fucking Starfleet logo, and like it's the worst writing dialogue okay. in the whole series. Let's get to the let's get to the point where the show starts slowly. I don't like the opening episodes. I hate the Klingons, and as soon as they get away from the Klingons, oh come on, they're so the unappealing looking and sounding. I mean, but when when you have Worf and Gowron, why would you change it up? They had amazing Klingons in Next Generation in Deep Space Nine. They, they were too they're too uh, friendly they're too just like you friendly like the they like were killing they, people left and right constantly but they still look just like you and they talk in your language um, but, but but okay but before we get into the analysis which I want to get to it, which is your story is a different entry point but mine was actually star like hardcore Star Wars fanatics online who I followed podcasters were saying Discovery is amazing uh, and so I was like, okay, with well, these guys, I mean, I knew they were Star Trek fans, but this is like, if they're saying Discovery is really good, like I'm going to check it out. And while it wasn't amazing, it was way better than I was expecting. And I, I agree that it started slow. Um, so, but wait, hold on, before we jump into that really quickly. So before you jumped into it, what was your sort of takeaway of sort of your personal legacy? Uh, uh, I'm not your personal legacy. The legacy of Star Trek in your personal life going into Discovery. You're thinking of what? Picard, Next Gen, a little Deep Space Nine. Like what's because that's what's going on in my brain is like 60% Next Gen, 40% or I should say 50% Next Gen, 30% Deep Space Nine, 20% like movies and original cast and shit like that. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I can't. I don't think I brought that much to it. I think I was just kind of curious to see what it, what it was going to come out with. Um, 
So you went on the advice of your podcasters. That makes me feel real good about myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was just like, well, these are people that I trust and whose taste I agree with. And so I was just like, okay, let's just give this a shot. They also sort of intentionally didn't ruin it. Um, or maybe they actually, no, no, no. You know what I think they did? I think they maybe sort of gave a little synopsis of the first episode. And I kind of knew the basic plot. Um, and then I was like, all right, well, fuck it. This sounds interesting. Um, and uh, and so I gave it a shot. No, I, I actually really did like the show. I think the things that got better for me were less plotty and more uh, writing-wise. Like, to me, again, uh, if dialogue clangs for me, it's all over. Like, if the second I can feel the writer and you know, versus feeling like I'm, I'm listening to people's talk, mm-hmm. I'm just gone. I'm out and of the And you didn't feel that in The Last Jedi. You didn't feel the writer in The Last Jedi. I did. I did okay. in many scenes, just mm-hmm. not in the ones that I cared about. I, mm-hmm. I did a lot of like mental editing in that movie. Like I basically said, mm-hmm. here's the movie. It's this part where Ray and um, Kylo are talking to each other and Luke's involved. And that was the movie to me and all the rest of it just didn't mm-hmm. even exist. And that's kind of how I saw that movie. And that's honestly, I know we're sidebarring into Star Wars. It was going to happen. Um, even though you know I I worship Rogue One, the thing I will give to Force Awakens over all the new movies and prequels for sure, and even some of the original trilogy, there was something very unselfconscious about The Force Awakens in a fun way, where they were just flying by the seat of their pants. And you know what? J.J. Abrams, I, I'm on board when he does well. The original Star Trek reboot, one of my favorite movies, obviously Into yeah. Darkness, super disappointing, but he was already courting Star Wars at that point. So I don't know what was going on. The original Star Trek reboot no, no, is amazing. You, and great, you add Larry Cat, you land Lawrence Kasdan who wrote the fucking Empire Strikes Back with J.J. Abrams to Force Awakens and they nail Han Solo I mean the more I watch Force Awakens it's Rey and Han I mean I I love Poe Leia Finn everybody else but it's really Rey and Han that make that movie special to me Um, and so uh, this is a response to your idea uh, your notion of the writers being um, like uh, so forward which is why it's interesting that you and I who do love great movies can tolerate television because episodes are so clearly written by individual writers right and I think Discovery's uh, uh, positives and negatives were that you could tell the uh, changes in writers each episode sometimes in the same arc totally go ahead yeah no totally um and uh when it was good it was it was really on um i mean when it was off it was off but i i I, there was enough going on there and i think actually you you made a good point to bring up uh the movies we should have actually mentioned that um the idea that that star trek could actually be fun in some way was kind of a nice precursor that sort of allowed disco they to- definitely took some cues from jj abrams reboot there's no question the way they shot yeah. it the, i mean I, I look i i did half an episode of commentary before i decided i i had too many other priorities than discovery but in my rewatch but there are more lens flares in the first 10 minutes of star trek discovery oh, know, than know, all the jj abrams movies combined he jj abrams uses it like twice a movie and it looks spectacular like with kylo watching star killer base you know so people remember it um but not just that the way the uniforms look the way they shot 360 around you know uh the bridge and so forth my boy maddie g who isn't crazy about the star trek reboots and isn't crazy about battlestar galactica though he likes both actually said it was he wow. felt discovery was a combo of the star trek reboot the best parts of next gen and ds9 and some battlestar galactica and it's hard for me to disagree with that assessment again he said it i wasn't thinking that but when he proposed it to me in our discovery conversation i was like that makes uh, some sense i don't i don't really see anything about the next gen and in fact i think mm-hmm. but you do see the battle gen- star yeah yes the battle yeah. star for sure yeah um maybe some of the ds9 um mm-hmm. i feel like next gen is absent but i think i think that's actually an intentional 
thing. I think the whole point is that you're going back to a time in this in this organization, this like you know human alliance thing, right? This is pre-Kirk, right? So the a lot of things aren't like put together well enough and stable, so you can't have like a next gen like super hippie calm utopian ideology like you're still kind of fighting and like uh fighting for your life and so they don't really behave uh like the like the people that we've seen in next gen or even in voyager um it's it's fu- it's funny actually uh, speaking of ba- battlestar someone also was mentioning that like um battlestar galactica is kind of what voyager should have been if people actually had the guts and that's essentially why he left it uh what's his name left and did Battlestar was because that's right. what he thought Ron, he was Ronald D. Moore who did some of yeah, the yeah, coolest yeah, yeah, yeah. episodes of Next Gen became one of the primary writers executive producers on Deep Space Nine which I will say having sampled old Star Trek uh, series in the last couple of years Deep Space Nine holds up the best in terms of the special yeah, effects not probably. holding back great drama and character stuff it talks about terrorism the bad guys do terrible things I mean it's the most morally ambiguous so it's not surprising that Ronald D. Moore would then go on to do Battlestar galactica um well and because like that's what voyager was right like you had one ship like trying to figure out what its morals were going to be trying to survive and make its way home like that is that is what Battlestar Galactica is just in a different universe. And right, it's just but one the that difference was Voyager was like, we're gen. still going to do Starfleet-y things while we go on our way home. And Battlestar's like, we're going to kill everyone necessary to get home. You know what I mean? Which is way more realistic. Let's be honest. But also, Battlestar had an implacable enemy on their asses. And let's be honest, but when Battlestar started going downhill, I don't think it went downhill as much as some people, but in mid to late season three, when it stopped being quite as compelling, was when the implacable enemy became too familiar and the sides became gray. And, and that actually should be interesting on paper, right? As we move into some AI conversation in a little bit with the Cylons and the performances were great, but there was something cool about those first two seasons of Battlestar where we didn't see the Cylons other than being like, right, this persistent threat yeah. and seeing how they dealt with it on the ship yeah agreed yeah there's something nice about that and, and i mean like the, the funny thing is that it was so easy to build it in to voyager like you could have had the borg going at them the whole time they had like the same thing yeah you, no no but like they they became they became too familiar mm-hmm they became like no longer boogeyman because you saw them all the time. But instead of them being like terrifying and an existential threat that they needed to like get away from whenever they could. And like also like things like resource management, like the way it started out, they were kind of like the ship regenerates itself, but like, Oh, there's the things are low and Oh, we're going to run out of fuel and Oh, we're going to run out of this. And like, the idea that they are instead focused on like needing to get water and other things that are like really basic shit to stay alive and then having to do Sometimes, so, like, let's say they want to stay very Starfleety, and they are actually good at keeping order, and they like are tested time and time again, and then they have to figure out what those lines are. That's fine. You could you can keep doing that and keep them all Starfleety, but just eventually that sense of urgency and and like danger just like disappeared, and it just became like you know alien of the week or like social situation of the week. And I think that's where it fucked up. Mm. It could have still been like you know White Knight style shit, but it it just it just gave up anyway. So. So, like, Disco then becomes not at all like that because Disco starts to jump right into the nastier shit. And a lot of that's just, like, more modern storytelling and the fact that we're very used to every fucking character being a broken character. Ah, my past. Um, But I think... uh, Yeah, but actually there's a mix of super naive characters 
uh, and super broken characters, including, you know, some characters who are way more broken than we think. Uh, okay, guys, here's where the spoiler section comes on to Star Trek Discovery. So, uh, yeah, well, that's fair. Yeah, so we, yeah. we, we, hey, we don't have to listen put to it. this. Don't listen to this. Yeah, if you, if you haven't watched it, don't fucking listen to this. Go over to CBS. They will give you a month for free. Watch all of it and then cancel that fucking service. Mm-hmm. And then well, you know what you're what right. talking about. You know what? You're right. Let's talk somewhat vaguely about it so we don't. No, uh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Let's, 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 no, let's give them the spoiler warning. Oh, we're giving them the spoiler warning? Okay, yeah, guys. So we've got 43 brilliant minutes with me and Adam talk. Uh, you can skip 10 minutes ahead and we'll be on another topic. But for right now, I, and I'll oh, put this no, in the copy. No, I'll put, I'm going to put this in the copy because I want people to come back to hear about Blade Runner and some of the other stuff we're going to talk about. So I'll put in the copy okay. where a lot, a lot of nerd podcasts. I don't because I'm lazy and I don't give a fuck. But for this one in particular, I will put it in the copy. Yeah, I, I swear to God, I'm not lying this time. Unlike all the other times when I lied. Um, spoilers. <laughs> okay. So... The revelation about the torture, whatever you want to call it, of Shazad Latif's character was so shocking and progressive, honestly, like politically and socially progressive without being, you know, too SJW in your face, which by the way, I say SJW sarcastically, I am an SJW. If you got, my Bizzlecast listeners know this. I have listeners who are politically on my side. I also have listeners, by the way, who have contacted me, you know, over as I've grown and been like, I don't agree with your politics, but I really like your podcast. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm like, cool. Um, so if those people are still here, here you go. Um, but I, I you, you know what I mean? I, I, the reversal of, of, um, what was his character's name? Why Fuck. do you say torture? Why do you say torture? Okay. It wasn't torture. Okay. Hold, that hold was on a, one sec. Hold on one sec. So the, the enigmatic, good looking, but not really sure where he's coming from. One time prisoner, uh, played by Shazad Latif who played, so um, good. Uh, Lieutenant Ash Tyler in Discovery and, and turns out to me that he was tortured and maybe raped even though you don't agree with this. No, he remembers no. himself being raped. Okay, let's He's huh. his memories are confused, dog. Okay. Comma dog. Well, you know, that's what uh Trump's cronies are saying is that all these women's memories are confused. No, fuck <laughs> you. It's not the same. This person had a literal neural surgery low blow, low to remove his identity. Tuck's, Come on. Guys, Tuck's a bleeding heart liberal. Don't listen to me. I'm just giving him a hard time. But but anyways, the point being, the fact that he had a complex even in his mind, uh, sexual relationship with the Klingon and felt like he was raped or felt like he was dominated, whether it happened or not, is so interesting. And for Michael Burnham, by the way, they didn't name her Michael by accident. Like, she's supposed to be kind of the more... I I talk about how, like, Princess Leia in the original trilogy is kind of the traditional male character in some ways, and Han Solo is the traditional female character because Han's, like, talking about his feelings and wants her to open up and, you know, and she doesn't want to deal with it. She doesn't want to talk about any of it. You know, she's always kind of in control from a power standpoint. That's kind of what's going on with the two of them, but it gets really twisted. So what was your interpretation? Because I have not heard that interpretation that he was just imagining the whole thing. Go ahead. Well, it's that. It's not that Ash Tyler is long dead and that it's Volk. Like that it is actually the Klingon. So whose body is that? It's, it is Volk's body who has been surgically altered to look like a person. Like okay. they broke his legs. They changed with the size of them. 
They changed some of his internal organs. They like put the grinder on his head to grind off all his Klingon loaf. Um, you're going to force me says, to bring in Ghost in the Shell here, man. You're, you're forcing the issue, which I love. But no, but that's the thing. Like they alter his body to be human and then implant the other guy's like memories into him. Um, Is but that he's canon? not Ash Tyler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not Ash Tyler. He's, he's the Klingon. And so like as a last like goodbye or maybe like they do it for a while, like he and Laurel had been the, the, the Klingon, uh, the Klingon chick, um, had yeah. been lovers continuously. And so like they, they continued to do that before he got his memory wiped, even after he had the new body. But then, uh, but then once he became Ash Tyler, his memories were confused and he couldn't figure out like what they meant or what they were. So like that's and they all kind of came like streaming back to him once he saw her and he was like he didn't understand what it so was. So you're telling me they're able to essentially clone a human body in a vat and then put a Klingon consciousness nope. in there? No surgery, fully Klingon body. Surgery. You can't do that. It's impossible. That is what those scenes are. That is what those scenes are. They are changing his Klingon body to a human body. That's why when he was like like what do I have to what do I have to like you know, what do I have to give up? She's like, it's going to take a lot. If you're going to have to give up a lot. And he says, what do I have to give up? And she says everything. And it is then, ex- I think pretty so explicitly when, explained. So when they get, Klingon. so when they get her to turn, when she's a prisoner to help him, then what is, what is the help that she's providing at that point to the, she's, uh, she's killing, she's killing the, uh, the, uh, the underlying personality of the person that she was trying to reactivate. So what's left? A shell? A ghost in a shell? Yeah, yeah. Basically, the the uh, basically the uh, the thing that she had put on top, which was right. the retraining, is all that's left. Adam Tuck. And now the Klingon's dead. <sighs> I hate to put you in this position. I have to do it though. What? Not only did I like the Ghost in the Shell movie with Scarlett Johansson. I thought the outrage over it, whether you liked it or not, the outrage over it is insane because no, it's not. If yes, it is because if you watch the original Ghost in the Shell movies and TV shows, it's not clear where Motoko's consciousness comes from whatsoever. It's totally unclear where Motoko comes from. They talk about fighting in foreign lands. She's completely regenerated. We have no idea what's human and what's robotic. We we know that they've been involved in military ventures all over the world. It's completely unclear. We know what their art direction is for American characters. She doesn't look Japanese. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This well, this is the dispute. Is anime? No, most anime characters don't look look Japanese. But the 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 signal for. Like the signal for what an a- what an anime character looked like is generally like this is a Japanese person, not this is an American Scarlett Johansson person with a wig. Their eyes look neutral. Their skin tone looks neutral. They look like Scarlett citizens Johansson of the world. Look neutral. She looks white. She doesn't look neutral. She's the whitest Matoko motherfucker looks- on the planet. Not yeah, neutral. Okay, fine. I, there's just like, dude, this is a thing about Neo Tokyo and Japan. You could have picked a Japanese actor. But who cares what Matoko looks like? That's the whole point. We want to know where her original consciousness came Except from. We don't live in Neo. We don't live in the future where everything's fine. We live in a place where like Asian actors are the least represented uh, actors ah, that are out there. See, that was a nice little spin maneuver, which is what most people do when they criticize the movie: is spin maneuver towards representation as opposed to analyzing the movie on its own terms. Okay, that's my problem with it, is it's problems with the representation. There's nothing wrong with that. My problem with a lot of movies from the 30s are that white people... The fact that the entire rest of the cast was Japanese, it was spoken two-thirds in Japanese, her mom ends up being Japanese, she ends up being Japanese. She's the star. Like, she's the fucking person. Like, I'm sorry, man. Like, 
just on principle they it was a it was such a cynical hollywood bullshit move like i'm so I'm sorry. okay can, can i give you a counter example sure so you know marvel has been criticized for various eastern philosophy portrayals from dr strange to iron fist um uh i did that but okay right right well the, the problem is dr strange in the movies is trained by tilda swinton and in, in the comic books he's much more realistically trained by tibetan monks um but iron fist okay, is, yeah, that's pretty egregious well iron fist was always a white guy in the comic so the the egregious part of iron fist is finn jones who plays iron fist isn't very good in the first season but the second season it's great because it's mostly about his partner in crime who is a chinese samurai slash his lover played by jessica henwick chinese samurai yeah she was trained in japan as an assassin but she's chinese in the mythology because the chinese because kunlun the mystical center of the of the world uh, where you know you get the iron fist is in china but she was basically trained by Japanese assassins. So gotcha. that actually makes sense. Okay. Asking. Anyways, yeah, Jessica Henwick, gorgeous, <laughs> amazing fighter, amazing actress. She plays Jess in The Force Awakens, the the chick in the X-Wing when they're doing the final battle. He's like, we're with you, Poe. You know, there's like the chubby dude from Star Trek and then the, the half Asian chick in the X-Wing. The chubby dude from Star Trek. Uh, yeah, Greg Grumberg. He's in the Star Trek reboot movies. The co- comedian oh, okay. dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Anyway, anyways, she's in Game of Thrones too. She played uh, one of Khaleesi's bodyguards for a while. Um, not so much acclaim, but she's great as Colleen Wing, who's a classic Iron Fist character from the Marvel comics, and she's what grounds the philosophy. But guess what? She's only half Asian and she's Malaysian. So she's a half Asian Malaysian chick playing a Chinese chick, playing someone changed in Japan who's now fighting in New York. She's also English in real life, but sports an amazing American sort of New York immigrant kind of accent, which I was so fooled Uh by. I didn't even know. So what I'm saying is, I know Scarlett Johansson is the big star, but the multicultural aspect of these things these days is so crazy, and the philosophy of Ghost in the Shell supports that we don't know who is behind these bodies. And and I'm just saying, the fact that that wasn't even discussed, and it was immediately discredited as just a racist portrayal, um, I I, I just find philosophically offensive. Whitewashing is a thing. Like, someone being like, oh, that movie doesn't get made without Scarlett Johansson. That movie doesn't get made without her. What movie doesn't get made? Oh well, I don't give a fuck. I don't yeah. need that movie to get made. The movie was better when it was a, when it was drawn. Here's the problem, Adam Tuck. Dropping my mic. <laughs> here's, here's the problem. Three words: Kelly Marie Tran. You see what she's gone through as Rose Tico? You see what she's gone through? Okay. Yeah. This is the problem. If you're if you're if you're an a- Asian actor playing Asian roles. You don't get most pu- much publicity, but then if you get mainstream Hollywood roles, you get crushed by the horrible, evil right-wing people. So okay, everyone so is damned on all sides more. here. So that this doesn't become such a such a what is your argument? Because my argument would be that like therefore we need to do it much more so that people get used to the idea and they stop having like baby whiny white male responses. No, I, no, I agree with you. No, but you didn't. Th- th- that like was Scarlett my, Johansson is why that shit happened. No, forget that. Forget that. Go back to my Jessica Henwick example. A, yeah, a Malaysian back. chick who's half oh, English, half Malaysian, playing a Chinese Buddhist. So what I'm saying is. She's a half Malaysian raised in England who has no Eastern religious or philosophical beliefs in real life. 
Okay. So is that less exotification than a white guy playing Iron Fist who's focusing on his chi and studying Buddhist philosophy and Kung Fu and stuff? You can make it okay. So you can make the argument that Iron Fist, in its inception, is inherently like this white man's fantasy of coming in and, and it then was, being better at somebody yes. else's culture, right? Yeah. So yep. yes, you can. But but that is not what Ghost in the Shell is or was, right? Like Ghost in the Shell didn't have that problem with its portrayal as it began. It only had that once Scarjo just got brought in. So I think that is half. She of the didn't get brought problem. in. It was her project. She fucked up. I, I'm sure she would probably admit with truth serum that she fucked up. But that was that was her pet project. She was behind the whole thing. So you know you can blame her, but definitely blame her for like being passionate about it. I, okay. Yeah. I mean, I will. I mean, I can also blame her for recording an album of uh, Tom Waits covers. So, you know. <laughs> I can blame her for a lot of shit. Did you like the movie Her? Uh, yes, I did. Me too. So you want to talk AI for a little bit? Uh, Sure. We can bring Wait, it. Wait, but I feel like we didn't even touch Discovery. Oh, okay. So here, here's the connection. So do you want to? Do you want to? Well, the thing is, you blew my mind so much with this revelation up? about Shazad Latif that I. I, I don't even feel prepared even to respond at this time. Yeah. Oh, my God. So let's talk about the well, other wait, wait, characters. I, oh, no, go ahead. I've got more. Oh, oh you got more? Oh, drop it. Well, maybe. I don't know. Okay. No, I'm t- I, I, as, long, I, as long as I know where the spoiler section ends. Keep it, keep it coming, baby. Keep it coming. Oh, man. Well, so, I mean, well, what did you think about Mirror Universe stuff? Like, I'm actually... I loved it. I just think plot writing-wise, they lost steam in the last episode or two. But most of all, I loved it. I especially loved it because Michelle Yao is so great at playing the noble wise older warrior you know like we see in crouching tiger and we see at the beginning of discovery to see her just go full evil you could tell she was pushing extra hard to be evil because it's just not in her person she's so like you could just tell she's so grounded and and wonderful and sweet in real life i always appreciate in characters when they push themselves like that so i actually really enjoyed that i enjoyed the chinese theme right i mean talk about integrating you know Chinese stuff, I mean, let's be honest, they stole this from Firefly. That's the other influence. Firefly and Serenity is specifically built on the fact that in the future, China and the U.S. rule the entire world, and they basically combine, and everyone speaks half Chinese and half American, and that's sort of the, the culture 500 years. And so I kind of like that they had Chinese captain, but here's, but you could say, oh, they had Chinese captain, so they named it a Chinese ship, so that's offensive, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I guess it's, it, it's all about presentation, right? Because the presentation of that w- was great, was that of course she would name it after something in her culture or something like she well, deserves no, they it. Don't, people don't captains don't get to name their ships starfleet names the no, ships and then i know but, but I, be, I would believe that starfleet would honor her with a ship named that or something like that because of her service like she seems with, like with a captain Gen- picard-esque you know level yeah yeah i don't so, know yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess i don't i don't think i didn't think that was that problematic exactly from- that's why it's great specifically because we didn't think about it that, that's the problem with ghost of the shells we were thinking about it before it even came out and with us we weren't even thinking about it. that's the that's the yeah. thing yeah actually there's a great there's a great thing where like uh people were sort of talking about how um how like bummed everyone was when she when she bought when she eats it in the second episode I knew she was uh, like back. I knew she was there are all these what's up I, I I knew she was coming back at some point. I just didn't know how. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just because it's like, you know, one of these things where you're like, you're really, really excited and it's like amazing to see representation and then you just immediately have this person just fucking exit the show and you're like, God damn it. Like, I could just imagine being so mad. <laughs> but then luckily, yeah, they came back and did a good job. Yeah, I, I think you're right, man. When you said about the last episode, um, 
I don't think it was the last two episodes. I think it was the last episode. Like the last episode was like not of the same level as any of the others. And the second to last was like still fucking pretty great to me. Um, and I loved like starting to build that like universe and like, you know, the, the twist with, uh, with Captain Lorem was awesome. fantastic. Um, the Jason and- Isaacs thing I did not see coming oh, whatsoever. So I totally did, did not see job. coming. He's amazing. Well, and the funny thing is if you go back and you like rewatch things, like it is very, very obvious sure. and they were showing it to you the whole time, but they just, Those um, the but then he kept coming back and being charismatic. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is that the ability to manipulate and lie and have other people be gullible enough also fits from their universes. Like it makes more sense that someone who's from the bad universe would be able to adapt and like make everybody else gullibly believe in him. Mm-hmm. Like in the, in like the good universe is so much more believable than the opposite. Um, and um, yeah, I, I think it's just, it's kind of great. Um, they, they did a very, very good job of like making him feel very sinister and then like pulling him back and humanizing him like almost on an episode by episode basis. Um, and, uh, oh man. Yeah. And then between statements and the doctor, like I loved their relationship and just like them, like, you know, using Interesting. Like, weird. That, that yeah, seems to be split opinion kind of on that. Yeah. Oh really? Uh-huh. Oh, that's, that's, I, I didn't realize that. No, yeah, no, I, 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 I liked it a lot personally, but I, Again, it, people, uh, you know, overanalyzing, oh, it's shoehorned in, blah, blah. You know, I, I'm like, shoehorn it in, fine. It this is. is, well, no, but this is, this goes with our whole uh, argument for support of more, you know, eth- uh, 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 non white representation is like, you have to shoehorn some stuff in at this point because people of color, women, and people, different sexualities are so underrepresented. Like, you just have to create these characters and, and go and with that- it. That one felt natural to me. I think that physically they had great because- chemistry. I thought they had great physical. I, I think people were angry that they killed uh, the one yeah, guy. I think that's what it came down to. People are angry about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's part of the whole. I, I didn't know that the trope of bury your gaze was a thing, but yeah. uh, I le- I learned that. Stamets Stamets has to grow on you. I think is the other thing. He's the annoying character that has to grow on you. Okay, so. But I love how he like turns into just like a constant shrooming like mo- like like I, I just I just love his thing into like guy who's hmm, high all the time. What sci-fi properties does that remind us of? Taking hallucinogenics to be able to navigate across the corners of the galaxy. Never heard of anything. I think it like reminds that. me of my own college experience. <laughs> <clears throat> it's Dune. That's exactly Dune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. But I love but it. But the but I love that it's all based on mushrooms. That's pretty cool. I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah. He's like, I'm a botanist <laughs> or whatever. You know? It's like, it's all for science. I swear. <laughs> yeah. That shit was pretty rad. Who was your favorite character in the crow? <sighs> Tilly. You stole it from me. Do you mind if I talk about Tilly for a second? No, I love Tilly. Okay. So when you first met me, Adam Tuck, okay. With the red hair first, first flowing all over the like place. Her. Okay. You look just like Captain Tilly. With, with <laughs> the red Tilly. hair, with the red hair flowing all over the place. Okay. Did the, my red hair factor into your uh, equation of who I was whatsoever? Uh, I mean, not really. I don't think. No, because you were a grown, mature adult, relatively at that what? point. Well, in terms of in elementary school and middle school, I got made fun of a lot for my red hair and complexion, like a lot. 
and like I was socially adept enough to like mostly deal with it, but it was still like always there. Like someone would say something, you know what I mean? And like now I embrace it. I mean, fucking, you know, and now what's funny is in 2018, everybody wants red hair and people are like, is that natural hair color? I'm like, yes, yes, it is. Fuck you (laughs) all those years. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh-huh. If you look at redheads in movies in 80s and 90s in particular, now this applies to okay. boys, boys or men more than, than women or girls because you boys do have men. some classic stunning redhead women in the history of film, but you have a <laughs> lot of annoying, nerdy or evil or just uh, shitty okay. yeah. redheaded yeah, yeah, characters right. in movies, film and television when we were growing up and... To see a character like Mary Wiseman's character, who at first embodied everything stereotypical about redheads, and for them to just continually flip it on his head over and over and over again, I'm not going to lie, man, completely won my heart. And I think it was the episode with her and Michael Burnham just running around the ship and gossiping with each other. It was like episode five or something like that. That was the episode where I was like, all right, I am in. These two relationships... They're best friends. They're both outcasts for different reasons. They're both totally weird and doing their own thing. Like, that was where I was in. And the fact that they didn't be like, oh, here's a redhead who's totally different from other redheads. Like, no, we're going to slowly take you into redheaded stereotypes and then go completely to the right and to the left and go all over the place. And what we see in the alternate universe version of her and everything is just, it was just great for someone like me. You know, you just don't see that with a redhead. I mean, now obviously redheaded men and women are doing great great movies and television film and whatever but when i was growing up we don't see that yeah go ahead this is so this is so funny that this is like you have your like fucking finger on the pulse of this because i've never considered the representation of redheaded why would you i've joked that we're 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 a 0.5 minority within the white population and people are like uh i'm like i'm a jewish redhead like i am kind of a freak of nature you know what i I mean well, there's an, there's an art director who really uh, who works with me who all he really wants to do is shoot redheaded freckled boys um, and uh, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm it's not that I'm bad looking just but I don't have enough like refined facial features for that to be worth it but you can throw my well, my hat in the ring. You also you know this is also sort of a sport brand related thing so you know you just gotta kind of you, so you kind of got that is what I'm saying. <laughs> what you're saying? Uh, what I'm saying is that you need to uh, get your workout on and uh, and and get like you know really into CrossFit just that's, in order to like happening. go on a shoot with me. It'd be if you fun. say the word Zumba, I'm stopping the podcast right now. Uh, that's what that's the word that my grandfather uses to refer to his Roomba, and it makes me really happy every time he fucks it up. That would make me really happy too. So tell me like why you love Mary Wiseman as wrong, Tilly. There's something wrong with the Zumba. It's like, granddad, I think it's just out of power. It's like, no, there's something wrong. I, this one's broken. This Zumba's broken. Um, why do I love her? I think she was I love the you mo- for loving her. This is why I love Adam Tuck, guys. Sorry, if you're here he, this long, this is why I love Adam Tuck. He, he's my brother from another mother. We just have a deep understanding on some weird shit. Go ahead. Well, okay. There was some really good shit about her. Like, one was, um, like... I really liked how she handled like the, the time paradox one where they kept repeating and all of the different ways that she acted were very interesting to me. And I really loved that was the episode. Uh, that was the episode. 
I think, right? We're her and Burnham. Maybe. We're running together, but in like different time paradoxes. Over no, the, no, no the running one, running okay. one was not that one, okay. but I know what you're talking about. It was about. right after it. Sorry, go ahead. But that was one where she showed that she like seems dorky, but actually is kind of a party girl, which was kind of a funny, was kind of a funny juxtaposition mm. of like, this person is actually very outgoing when the alcohol comes out. Uh, and then also, but I, I think, I think a big one was like how weirdly uncomfortable she is and like doesn't know what's happening when she, when it's like evil Giorgio and she's like, Oh, hi, it's so nice to meet you. What the fuck is happening? And like the, her level of discomfort and trying to not look discomforted is so funny. And I was just like, God damn, like she steals another scene. Like she always was one of the funniest and uh, most human of all the fucking characters. I am so thrilled that not only are people not annoyed with her, but she's a lot of people's favorite character. I mean, again, for the reasons specifically that I stated and that you just talked about, I, I'm thrilled that people loved her. And it just shows the, the, cause let's be honest, these days being a redheaded woman, I mean, Christina Hendricks, fucking amy adams you know i mean you just go across the board yeah, there's amy adams clone that was married to borat that isla what was Mar- isla fisher was married oh are they still married i don't know dude the- she converted to judaism for him they're definitely know. married yeah sure. isla Good. fisher's hilarious don't god don't don't you dare don't you dare dis isla fisher i will kill you she um, jessica chastain i mean and yeah. I'm like, oh, thank God, this is Amy Adams. Jessica Chastain, though. Claire Danes. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot out there. Is Jessica Chastain? Uh, the Martian, Zero Dark Thirty, The Help. She's nominated for like a bazillion Academy Awards. Jessica Kristen Chastain, Interstellar. In. She's been in a million movies. What? Yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. Anyways, point being, <sighs> point being, you know. Like even in the NFL, which I don't care about, we have a redheaded quarterback in, in Philadelphia who people love, but it's like a big deal that he's a ginger. You know what I mean? There was actually a negative stereotype. I'm not making this up. The the Cincinnati Bengals a couple of years ago drafted a quarterback in the first round who was a redhead. Uh, Andy Dalton, I believe his name was. He didn't really pan out. He was great in college. And people were like, don't draft him. He's a redhead. Redheads never pan out. Which, of course, we've also heard about a certain uh, racial group with darker skin that they never pan out as quarterbacks. You know, like totally irrational, not based on science whatsoever, based on whatever. Uh, but but now it's like an accepted thing. And, and I just love that, you know. But, but do you understand? what i'm saying i know you're not a redhead but the fact that they didn't shy away from the redheaded stereotypes with mary wiseman they like hit them head on but then made them funny and took them in directions you weren't expecting you know uh, yeah it didn't even read to me as a redheaded thing mm-hmm. it just read, read to me That's as awesome. like a more a more nuanced look at a complete person who is like a little bit nervous and nerdy um and mm-hmm. I, I i mean i think in a lot of ways like She's kind of playing some of the fan base of yeah. um, of the of the genre, not the well, yeah, the genre too, but the series specifically. Um, mm-hmm. But but then you know they continue to make her complicated, smart, and capable rather than sort of just uh, reducing her to some bullshit. I mean, she is written like I mean, you can shoot me down on this. Uh, 
she's written like a Joss Whedon character. That's exactly how Joss Whedon writes his characters. And it shouldn't work in a show like Star Trek Discovery, but it's exactly the tonic needed because everyone else is so serious all the time, which is my main criticism of the show. Just Burnham. Is people are so... Just Burnham is serious. Nobody else is serious. And also, you don't like know... Michael's serious. I just said Burnham. Bur- Burnham serious, Shazad Latif serious, the the eh, Odo he's, he's clone is uh, Doug sad. Jones's character is, is serious. Don't you dare call him an Odo clone. Yeah. By the way, there's another redhead. Odo was never so nice. There's person. another beautiful redhead who works at the console on the bridge who got partially fucked up during the Klingon thing and has that like Borg looking metal thing on her no. head who I thought was a great actress and wish she had more that's the thing about Discovery why I think it could succeed because they actually have a bunch of side characters who they've only teased who I think have talent who could be really cool going for which was Battlestar's thing right I mean Battlestar started with six seven eight main characters but by the time we got in full swing in season two you had at least a dozen main characters who were all great in my opinion and I think Discovery well, that's needs the thing. that like, yeah. we need to actually learn who these fucking people's names are and like like they keep doing this shit where they like cut to everybody's like reaction in a scene or something where it'll be like oh i don't know and like you know there's like 17 different faces reacting to a piece of news let's say but it's like i don't Kayla fucking Detmer. know who this robot chick is i don't know who this red chick is like redhead mm-hmm. chick is like she's never said shit like i could say I this about care. game of thrones though can you name all the main can you name the main 18 characters in game of thrones probably have you watched them numerous times those episodes no fuck no you can't watch that show more than once okay so you can name the whole uh baratheon retinue you can name the whole like all of mar margaret's margie's people you can name the starks who are all dead spoiler alert uh you can do all of the all, all the clans you can name all those characters I can do, let me put it this way. I can do a shit ton of those characters mm-hmm. and uh, we have nowhere close to that number mm-hmm. in Disco. I just mean like, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. You don't have to like make them into a character to start, right? But right now they keep cutting back to their faces as if we know who they are and we understand what their expressions mean. Like, like it was more relevant. I keep thinking that that's called sold through performance and I'm a big fan when it works, but here it's so, I, so. Yeah. I think I think there's shit yeah. that was cut. I think mm-hmm. all these people had a lot more to do in the show and it got removed mm-hmm. because otherwise I, I don't understand why we keep going back to like endless reaction shots over and over again. And then we never hear a fucking name ever, not even like a quick little aside or a tiny conversation. Um, so like, I agree. They should have expanded the cast in the first season. I, I'm, I'm totally on board with this. I mean, uh, what not expanded the cast, but given more time to other members of the cast in the first season. I mean, I love fucking Doug Jones as Saru, but he got annoying after a while. Now, it was smart that by episode six or seven, he was admitting that Burnham was the better leader and he should just shut the fuck up sometimes, you know, which Data never has to deal with, which Odo never has to deal with, you know? And so that's kind of an interesting thing for Saru. Let's talk about Saru quickly. First of all, I think practical mixed with CGI effects looks great. How do you think the effects look on Saru? And what did you think about the character by the sort of nerd legend, Doug Jones, who plays him? Um, yeah, I thought, I thought he did a very good job in every respect. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the makeup's great. <sighs> Um, I think the makeup is quite good on him. I think it works well. Um, you know, uh, yeah, there's a couple like 
from further away shots of him that look less convincing. But I, it didn't. They did it well, and they did it tastefully. I think. In the character, um, the character. Let's focus on the character. What did you think uh, of? Was it just a different version of Data, Odo, Spock, etc.? No, not at all. Mm-hmm. Like, did you feel that way? I, I feel you need that character in Star Trek, but they made it clearly distinct enough. Absolutely. I mean, I, I love the character, but I, I, I'm one who uh, appreciates that they were drawing some from Spock in, in Odo and Data. I mean, you need that sort of outsider looking in character. And by the way, main criticism outside of the Klingons and Saru, not a lot of practical or any aliens whatsoever in Star Trek Discovery Season 1. Well, yeah, the tardigrade. I humanoid aliens what do you want what do you want to see a fucking romulan who cares romulans are cooler than klingons and cardassians are cooler than both of them that's the problem the problem is klingons are the least cool of the original races in my opinion they went they went deep in the past right like none of these things had existed yet we didn't know cardassians yet romulans weren't back on the scene until season two of next gen or some shit in the Star Trek reboot, before the timelines diverge, when they're in the Starfleet Academy for two or three years, Ahura is decrypting Romulan uh, communications. So, yeah, but that's the reboot. No, but that was before the sa- timelines diverged. I'm just saying... No, this is actually before then, isn't it? Yeah. It's tough. Oh, but it's way, hard to compare is- Chris Pine and Zoe Saldana with, you know, with admittedly great Discovery cast. It's too bad you can't merge the both of them because the Star Trek... Oh, this is what I want to talk to you about. The Star Trek movie franchise has completely fallen apart. Chris Pine and Chris Hemsworth both quit Star Trek Four, but they don't care because they're oh. investing everything in the Star Trek TV franchise. And if you ask my boy Matty G and a lot of Star Trek fans, they are cool with that. They don't care about the movies. They want great Star Trek TV. Thoughts? No, that third, that third, <laughs> thoughts. Uh, that third fucking movie was was garbage. Like that third fucking movie. Beyond was way better was, than the second movie, Into Darkness. Way better. No, it was not. It was not. That third one was was shit on a shingle. It was unacceptable. It was unwatchable. I turned it off on a plane. Hmm. Like I was like this. I could do anything else. I could I could stare at the back of this seat. Like this is garbage. And also, I'm fucking sick of the Beastie Boys in your stupid movies. Like it was f- fun the first time. Now fuck off. No, they the used it in Boys, the trailers and commercials, which was a big problem. Saying sabotage is enough to make the other enemy that was previously wrecking everything just immediately explode. Go fuck yourself. Like all of it was bad. Um, so no, better than better. You than, and I have very definitions of bad and so-so, but I I hear you, man. I I, I love the O nine reboot, and yes, I find the other two movies lackluster. And JJ wasn't involved in the third. And my main problem with Into Darkness was the Christopher Pike that was completely out of character from the Christopher Pike we got to know and love in the first movie, turning against Kirk and siding with Starfleet and blah blah. It completely uh, is yeah, against I his character. I don't care about any of that shit. I, I you know Cumberbatch <laughs> is more of a Cumberbatch yeah. is a pretty good uh, okay. character and he he did a good performance. You mean you don't uh, like don't Idris Elba and a thousand pounds of makeup? <laughs> no, I don't. Like he was the best part of it for sure, but it was just written so terribly. And they're like, uh-huh. and they're like sexy, like cleavagey alien jumping around. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, just uh, everything was garbage. Um, but this but, begs the question that I want to ask you, which is, yeah, if you look at the original, it's okay. So there has now been, I believe, thirteen Star Trek movies. There's been six with the original cast, four with the next gen cast, and three mm-hmm. with the new cast, which is defunct and never going to happen again. Mostly to the delight of everybody, which is too bad. 
it's almost like the new X-Men cast. You make one or two great new movies with the, with the cast and then it just turns to shit. Um, I don't know why that happens because the actors are great and are succeeding everywhere else. Um, the studios get involved, man. Like yeah, studios but if get you, more their fucking Well, here's the thing. If you ask people definitively which of the original cast movies, the six original cast movies, are good to great, the only one people agree on is The Wrath of Khan, which is, which is the second one. Right. Now, I was brought in by The Undiscovered Country, which came out in 1991 in the heart of Next Gen just taking off, which I wasn't walking, watching. And I really liked The Undiscovered Country, uh, which was okay. the final movie with the original cast. And that got me into Next Gen right in season three when it was getting awesome. And I wa- religiously watched every Next Gen episode after that and all the Deep Space Nine episodes. Really? Absolutely. That's what brought you in? Mm-hmm. Yep. Undiscovered it Country brought me in. Being on TV? Well, no, no, no. I, I'm saying I knew it was on TV. I knew it was there, but thinking it was like cool and kind of cinematic. You know what I mean? Um, oh, oh, that's really interesting. You yeah. might be the only human alive that has this this story. <laughs> well, you, you could say that, or you could say it was great uh, promotion to have the final yeah. original cast movie right as Next Generation was taking off. So hopefully that actually reached a lot of people, but I don't know. It reached me, and, and that was enough to take me over, uh, over the top with the show. And I got into the shows, and then I went back on VHS, watched all the original cast movies. It's all the next-gen movies, mostly not good. I mean, I think Star Trek uh, First Contact is like one of my favorite science fiction movies because it's just them oh, fighting against one. the Borg the whole time, which is fantastic. Yeah, that's fun. And I loved, I loved Data's interaction with the, the Borg Queen. Uh, but... Uh, uh, the movies are generally agreed to not be great. I mean, Wrath of Khan. Do you disagree? Uh, well, hold on. Wrath of Khan, Undiscovered Country gets so-so reviews. Some people like episode four where they go into the past in the 80s and like steal the whales and whatever just because it's kind I of cute and quaint. Yeah. And then First Contact and then the reboots. You're talking about two, three, four of the t- 13 movies at most that are really good. And it just seems to be a thing that's great on television. And what's interesting, man, is Star Wars is obviously a thing that is has in the past, for some people, different levels, been great in film, depending on what films you like. I don't want to get in that particular debate, but obviously it started on film. They've had a lot of success with the animated series, but now they're doing live action series with the Jon Favreau, you know, Game of Thrones level series, uh, which will be interesting to see how that goes. So they're trying to bring the film to the TV level. So my question to you is, does Discovery... When you see Star Trek Beyond, which you despise on the plane, versus Star Trek Discovery, which you generally liked, does this prove that Star Trek is better on television, or it's just an example of art working one place and one example and not another, if that makes sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's... no, I don't think there's anything so... um, I think Star Trek has had a a hard time making movies, Mm. Um but uh, I, I don't think that there's no place for it. It's just that, like, it's very easy for it to get too much about uh, mindless action, and Star Trek's not about that. Like, it is just, it just is not about that fundamentally to its core. Mm-hmm. Like, um, like, Roddenberry was always Mr., like, no interpersonal conflict, like, no fighting amongst the crew ever. Um, not in the original cast the original cast there was lots of tension and they were at war all the time I I think people forget that because Star Trek Next Generation was so airbrushed yeah but 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 Spock and Kirk never were like fuck you man yeah they (laughs) were they may have had 
no, they didn't. They may have had disagreements. Bones and Spock were always the most. Um, and even then, it was like, oh, you darn Vulcan. Oh, golly gee. Are you kidding me? Like, the crux of almost all the original series episodes was Spock and Kirk being at odds about logic versus passion or emotion or but whatever. They, but they they didn't sincerely hate each other. Oh, they didn't and hate like, each other. No, of and, and they weren't, like, doing, like, nasty, like, shit to each other. Whereas, like, Deep Space Nine gets into gray areas. Have been and always will be, my friend. Yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> it was still, like, Roddenberry's vision of, like, a utopian future where, like, we don't fight amongst each other. We, mm-hmm. like, find, like, other things. And, like, you know, then we go off and we have sex with green ladies and other things like that because the future's going to be great. Um, but, uh, but you know what I mean? Like, fundamentally, it is not... It is something that, like, when Hollywood gets its shitty little hooks in it, it ruins the spirit because it doesn't understand what it's dealing with. So I, I think that's the problem. It's not that you can't make a movie. It's that, like, you need to make sure that you have a very carefully curated or um, picked partners in order to actually bring that vision to mm-hmm. screen and not fuck up the spirit. And I think that the first one rode the line decently and made it fun without kind of killing what it's about. Um but, uh, but, um, oh wait, was this, was the second Star Trek? Yeah. You know, the second Star Trek was the one with a big fucking ship. It was a big, like Darth Vader. Oh, yeah, that was a ship. Yeah. 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 No, you're right. You're right. right. That was a shitty movie too. Um, Peter Waller. Or Waller. I forgot. Yeah. I, uh-huh. I was just imagining, uh, I was just imagining, uh, and the cute blonde chick who managed to get into the crew and then disappear apparently before the third one who flirted with Kirk. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And she just turned, she was Peter Waller's daughter. Showed you her bra for no reason. Um, well, we uh, also got to see Zoe Saldana's bra for no reason. And I ain't complaining. I I know, but hers is particularly gratuitous for at least they found a reason (laughs) to have a sex scene in the other one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, what was I going to say? Um, yeah, I think, I think you got derailed by bras. Yeah. I got derailed by by blonde people's bras, but I, I think that like again, it's not that it can't work on TV. It's just that like you can better protect what it is on TV, and I think that's why it's been more successful. Can I give you another theory? What's that? Oh no, go ahead. You were about to say something. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say like, and that's also I think the reason why the uh, in a lot of ways the original series stuff mm-hmm. I actually think I think did very well in those movies comparatively because like it was a lot closer to the original vision and there was a lot less that you could fuck with it. But then towards like Nemesis and some of the other god awful versions of the uh, of the next gen movies, it's mm-hmm. like you could see like this is not what the fucking show is. Like, what is this trash? Um, well, so. also, it didn't hurt that they took a long break between the final Star Trek e- episode and the first Star Trek movie and brought them back together. They got a certain amount of perspective, I think, as actors okay, and actually, as a crew. But Jesus, like that movie is rough. Have you seen? Have you watched that movie? Which one? Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Oh yeah. That well, is it's like it, you know what it is. It's a really, 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 really shitty reinterpretation of 2001: A Space Odyssey. I mean, it's almost exactly mood-wise Don't like 2001, but it's terrible. Yeah, yeah, it's not a good thing. <laughs> it's not a good thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, uh. I, you know, Wrath of Khan is super corny as well. Now, if you watch it, but you can see from the writing and the dialogue why, why people are so into it. But can I give you another an, another theory here about why, especially yeah, today, the Star Trek movies are not working? Which is, is Star right? Trek has very PG moments. 
like very family friendly, discovering aliens, developing relationships with each other, exploring new worlds, huggy kissy, you know, warm and fuzzy moments, but it also has like rated R moments. Deep Space Nine did a little bit of this. Discovery definitely has major rated R moments in terms of violence and sex yeah. and things like that. So the PG-13, which every movie is, Star Wars, Marvel, Star Trek, DC, Pirates of the Caribbean, Mission Impossible, literally name everything, Jurassic Park, it's all PG-13, which is hedging your bets. And it's not for anybody. And that's why people love Deadpool and Logan, specifically because it's rated R and they're just like fuck it you know what i mean and like it's for adults and if your kids see it that's your problem but like as adults we're going to enjoy this great fucking deadpool movie or you take the family it's like a great pixar film you know which are nominated for academy awards like it's not my thing but people love it the pg-13 it's too much in the middle it's trying to appeal to everyone it doesn't work with the star trek format with star wars it's always worked in the pg-13 format star trek it it, it doesn't they they tried to make it edgy and it worked in 2009 reboot but carrying forward the edginess just worked less and less and that's why i think ultimately man to take it all the way back around i think putting it on cbs all access was clearly the right idea because they could do an almost hbo level of violence and sexuality that was needed to tell that story and they made a shit ton of money did you know the budget for that was like game of thrones level budget like 10 million dollars an episode i had no idea until much later when they reported that they renewed it for multiple seasons and it was incredibly successful i was shocked that it had i didn't 10 realize million. that yeah i had shocked that it was that kind of budget and i was shocked they renewed it for multiple seasons and that people i'm glad people loved it but i was kind of shocked did you hear that they're gonna do a short like little short versions did you hear about this short versions yeah, they're going to release like four shorts before the next season comes up. Short tracks. <laughs> Did you hear that? Like on the web? Maybe on the web. I mean, Battlestar was doing this between seasons back in 2004. This is nothing new or revolutionary. I mean, no, that's no, cool. No, no. But, yeah. not, not to say that this is yeah, like that surprising. Hold on, I'm looking at it right now. Fuck you, Variety. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. What do we have here? Can we, can we just briefly, briefly while you're looking, talk about how ahead of its time Battlestar was? I know you didn't love it from beginning to end, but looking at where Star Wars and Star Trek is right now, you have to admit how ahead of its time, just thematically, filmically it was, and how the fact that Discovery is clearly aping some stuff from them in a good way shows that it was influential on sci-fi today. I don't think it gets enough credit. Uh, Yeah, I'd agree with you. I think it was was fantastic. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you think it doesn't get enough credit? I feel like everyone always brings it up. Hit me with your best shot. All right, Adam Tuck. It was great to have you on the podcast. It was awesome to talk Star Trek, which is apparently we found something nerdy that we've never talked about before. Of all the nerdy things we've talked about on and off podcast, we've literally never talked about Star Trek, which is hilarious. But I I do want to let you go, but I don't let you go before something we talked about off mic. I know we're both interested in because Ghost of the Shell, which was Blade Runner 2049. 
which yeah. was uh, directed by Denis Villeneuve, who also directed Arrival and Sicario, all two Yay. mostly Yay. great acclaim. Um, Blade Runner 2049 did very well in the reviews like Last Jedi, and while it didn't divide the fan base like Last Jedi, it did horribly relatively at the box office for a movie that cost like $200 million. And yeah. my theory is they overestimated the interest of the average population uh, in Blade Runner, specifically because there are a lot of hardcore nerds out there who don't even like Blade Runner, let alone the regular population. I love the original Blade Runner, and I like 2049. Uh, I don't want to dwell, because I only have you for a few minutes, on the box office returns, but maybe this will come in conversation, which is you really like the movie, and I'd be curious to know what in particular, I know you're a fan of the director, what, what you liked about Blade Runner 2049 when we've had her and Ex Machina and Ghost in the Shell, all the Ghost in the Shell properties, forget about the movie, all the Ghost in the Shell properties and the Matrix movies and blah, blah, blah. What stood out for you um, in in, uh, Blade Runner 2049? I mean, a lot of things. I mean, I think it was nice to see um, more of that world, and I think they didn't fuck it up. Like they kind of did it justice and I like that they found places that weren't only rainy, you know, they were sort of destroyed in another way. And like the ruins of a city like covered in sand was beautiful. I love that. I felt like the world got more and more realized. I loved where it almost seems like it would be starting to go if there was any more of the, of the work. Mm. Um, and I love that they actually put some answers to some of the things that were theoretically ambiguous, even though I don't think very much, but theoretically ambiguous about the first one. They took a bold stance and they just moved forward rather than trying to pretend like we don't know if Deckler he's a replicant. Decker is a replicant. Spoiler yeah. alert. And, <laughs> and um, like, you know, there's a, there's a lot of ways in which it couldn't have been that interesting. And I, I feel like they dodged all of them. Um, and then I thought Gosling's relationship to his hologram program um, was fantastic. Um, I loved especially, um, that, you know, this is sort of a product meant to keep him entertained and quiet and, uh, satisfied so that he doesn't go looking for anything else. And it turns out to be the thing that is what actually pushes him to go on this little quest because it's so good at telling the person what they need to hear. Um, I, I just kind of loved that as a concept and the idea of almost like algorithmic technology backfiring upon its creators. Um, I, I love the idea of like something about Google's algorithm going and fucking all the people who made Google <laughs> one day, uh, you know, anything like that. Uh, I, I, I kind of love that idea that this thing is, uh, got sort of twisted and then helped this uh, rebellion and helped these people become people. Um, yeah, I don't know. What did you love about it? Soundtrack. Holy fuck. I love. I loved Harrison Ford. I wish we got more Harrison Ford. Um, as I said earlier, I thought without, you know, I, you know, people ask me, man, because of the Star Wars stuff, they're like, why did Force Awakens of all the movies make $2 billion? I'm like, well, it was the first one. There was so much hype, original cast, excitement, nostalgia, blah, blah, blah. But you read that Harrison Ford got paid somewhere between like fifty and a hundred million dollars, and I'm like, he was probably worth at least three or four hundred million of that two billion dollars, maybe more, maybe half a billion of Harrison Ford, because a lot of fans did like the Last Jedi, but there was still a drop of seven hundred plus million dollars to the second movie. It also wasn't it? Also, was not as well written. Like you, you sure, like, sure, sure. But there are flaws in the Force Awakens, and Harrison Ford just makes everything work, and. You know, whatever. Um, 
I love the original Blade Runner. It's painful to watch, and the new one's painful to watch, and I almost appreciated that it was painful to watch because the original one is supposed to be painful to watch. But I will say, man, I had a lot of problems. painful to watch? Well, just just a a slog. But but it has moments of, like, you know, great, like, climax and, and stuff going on. I thought, uh, let me just give you my criticism and then I'll give you the, the compliments. My criticism was just that I could cut 20 minutes out of Blade Runner 2049. It would be as good or better of a movie, in my opinion. Villeneuve's visual yeah, aesthetic fair. is excellent, but there are shots where it's like, here's a wall, here's a wall, here's a wall, here's a wall. I'm like, okay, I get it. It's a wall in the middle of nowhere. Um, that stuff kind of, like you talk about with writing standing out to you, with me, it's like shooting. When the shooting starts distracting from me, which is why actually Sicario, his first big movie, was great because he worked with mm. uh, Taylor Sheridan, who also did Hell or High Water and Wind River, which are two of my favorite movies to come out in the last couple years, especially Hell or High Water. But the difference is Taylor Sheridan's writing is like very precise. I mean, Hell or High Water with Jeff Bridges, Chris Pine, uh, Ben Foster, and an amazing cast was like literally like 95 minutes long but felt like such an epic movie but it was so tight i felt like blade runner could have used a little bit more tightness i didn't completely share the even though i thought the actress who sort of looked like felicity jones who played his ai sex buddy was very talented and very good i I was disturbed by the fact that she was kind of like an what i felt like was sort of an ai geisha that we saw in ghost in the show i mean she has no liberty she has no freedom you know, I don't know why we think she has any agency other than sacrificing herself in the end. But that being said, a lot of people who defend strong she's female roles even, like that character in the movie. So, who, you know, this is just I'm my not opinion. Even sure she's sentient, dude. And that's exactly what Maddie G said. And my point is. You you know Battlestar episode uh, season two episode eight. You can't rape a machine. Well, uh, yeah, can't argue with that. Ones. You're raping those Boomer. Were... Well, Boomer's a machine. You can't rape. Bo- you can't rape a machine. So it's not rape with about, Boomer. But, no, 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 no. Just because no. she's there's in a, a physical big, body, it's she's a still big a machine. Difference between there's a big difference between. Uh, no, I, just to be clear, I'm not saying you're making any kind of equivalency here. What what I'm talking about is just the level of agency of the character. Right, but that was the point. Like the mm-hmm. point, it's not like oh, what a what a disturbing thing that the that the filmmaker didn't consider. It was like he could like, only relate to her like because he's, he's a machine and he knows he's a machine, so no, he needs another machine to relate to. Vid- no, he's oh. playing a video game. He's not like this. She's not. She's not the same level. So why should as I him. feel anything for her? Why should I feel sad when she gets quote unquote killed? Uh, because you also have feelings about machines, and it's like a. It's if she a, was not a, attractive, a would I have feelings for her? great question what does that tell you about humans it means as as they say in the punisher series on netflix which i highly recommend pretty people we are all selfish and egotistical which is why beautiful people run the world um so dude this is what i'm saying like she's a sense she is a product in a way that the replicants have ceased to become a product and have started to become people like that's part of it but she's a very well-made product, and that is why this person is like always whispering the thing right in his ear that is going to get him to keep like going down and like taking on the hero's journey a little bit more. Um, I, I I thought it was very good, but I don't think they made any bones about what she was or the fact that she was this like this uh, this. But the like, fact yeah, that she was effectively like killed. AI. Hold on. 
the fact that she was effectively killed through um, treachery by Mackenzie Davis's prostitute character, who was a real physical person, who was, despite what she said, actually attracted to Ryan Gosling's character, even though she used him and did horrible things to him as a prostitute. She was a real person, but we hate her, you know? Uh, I just think it's interesting. Which character is Mackenzie whatever? Mackenzie Davis? She's a famous actress. She was the tall prostitute character who acts like she wants him, and they sleep together, and she slips something in the chip or whatever. You'll you'll see. She was in The Martian. She was in... um, yeah, 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 TV yeah, shows. yeah, yeah, yeah. But she yeah. was part of the resistance. She was ultimately still trying to. Mm. What do you? I mean, I, yeah, I don't no, I come think, away hating her. I, I, that's not here, the, what I took away from that role at all. I, look, I, I agree. The, the bigger problem here, Tuck, is is the debate that we're having. And if we had more time, we would go even more into. He was it, really just not by shared. One who got school. sent out by Jared Leto, like that's one who actually killed her. Who. I, I just think needs to go away as a bad guy. I mean, maybe Jared Leto just keeps getting bad roles and I sympathize with him because I love my so-called life growing up. But honestly, everyone hates the, his Joker. I don't, his bad guy was, was beyond one dimensional in, in Blade Runner. But I, oh, I, I still feel like it's not his fault. I still feel like he delivered the lines well and it was just written poorly. I don't know how well, you feel I about it. I thought he was effectively creepy. No, okay. I, I, I I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't, was not bothered by his performance mm-hmm. and his okay. like, so weird Okay, so speak to the American people and, and, and explain why so few people even knew or cared or saw this movie, which should have been like one of the great epic sequels of our time. I agree with you. It feels spiritually completely like a sequel to, this is a true sequel to the original movie. The problem is not that many people have seen the original movie. Well, yeah, that's true. And, I, and then I also think like maybe one of the reasons why it didn't uh, get, you know, didn't uh, get a lot of love is also just because it was good. <laughs> well, I mean, because good movies <sighs> fail because they're good and people are idiots. It's not always that simple. Last Jedi got a 93% around tomatoes from critics, a 46% from fans, still made $1.35 billion at the box office, effectively split the Star Wars fan base down the middle. Now they've gotten a lot of those fans back through various means, but it's not, you know, it's... You know, it, it's not always just that simple. I do think it's too complicated I'm being, of a I'm being. I'm yeah. being. I'm being facetious. Well, no, but, but I think I mean, it's it, it, the it's the AI thing. I mean, let's assume Ghost in the Shell was better and had an Asian central character and was more loyal to the Ghost in the Shell. We know. I still don't think it makes more than a couple hundred million dollars worldwide because people just can't handle. I thought, by the way, Ghost in the Shell being PG thirteen was a huge mistake, um, yeah, and Blade Runner being rated r was actually very smart and i thought people were going to respond to blade runner 2049 with the rated r although some of the nudity was gratuitous but you're going to get that with rated r movies i would take that over the the opposite which is you know uh, watered down pg-13 yeah i agree with you I, I mean if you do better marketing you have more harrison ford and you cut out 20 minutes would it make a couple hundred million more dollars i don't you're, know you're you're very like interested in the business i'm very not interested in the business. i'm only interested like, in the business insofar as what it means for the population in, in terms of people seeing the movie i don't yeah, actually care guess, about the physical money i care about people seeing the film mm-hmm. yeah i don't know i guess i guess i'm a little bit more 
I'm just like I'm just I'm just only thinking about the thing by itself. Yeah. So I, like, I don't know. Can I give you an example? Just a quick example, and we'll do a couple more sure. thoughts. And we'll wrap up. A quick example is so I've been talking about the John Favreau Star Wars series, ten episodes, ten million dollars an episode, hundred million dollars. That's Game of Thrones money. That's Star Trek Discovery money. Apparently, The Crown cost ten million dollars an episode, which I didn't know. But Crown apparently is one of the most expensive shows on television. The only reason I say that is because the fact that Disney's bragging about it is because they're saying we are. We're not saying we're going to do a Game of Thrones level awesomeness, but we are trying to do a Game of Thrones level awesomeness in terms of effects and production and so forth. Does that make sense? I, I don't actually care about the 10 million per episode per se, but just what it means about Disney's commitment to making the first ever live action for adult Star Wars TV yeah. show awesome, especially because it takes place three years after Return of the Jedi when they're still fighting the Empire and all sorts of new threats are starting and so forth. All right, Tuck, thank you so much for being on. I have one final question for you. Mm. I mean, I have so many questions for you, but at the moment, I have one final question for you, which is, I have been very open that I love the first two or three seasons of Game of Thrones. I love the cast across the board. Even characters I don't like, I like the cast, and they've succeeded amazingly. Uh, I like what the source material is based on historically. Uh, I like some of the production values of it. But I have been a very, very vocal critic of Game of Thrones since season three, and I haven't found many supporters or sympathizers to this whatsoever. So as someone who loves the show, but I respect really more than anyone I know in the genre of fantasy because of Lord of the Rings and other stuff... Like, where do you think Game of Thrones is at now? Was it inevitable that there was going to be a fall? Do you even think there was a fall? Like, give me your your Uh, thoughts on on Game of Thrones as like the worldwide, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars profit sensation that it is. Oh, my God. Uh, I think ultimately um, uh, a lot of the problems with the source material, like, uh, I think... I think like he's really good at doling out twists and opening things up and adding complexity. And I don't think he's very good at reducing it. Hmm. Um, I think, I uh, that's called, uh, okay, sorry. Yeah. I just, I, you entropy. know, I, I think that's I was going to call it entropy. But yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. He, he is, he's made, he's, he, he big banged. <laughs> um, and for a while it was interesting to watch hmm. and now it, it started to get just like a little bit, just like utterly boring. Like I really was not interested in watching fucking Khaleesi have poli sci lessons for three years in a row. Um, the staggered slow release and the, um, and the, uh, the way that we spend time with certain characters is, mm. is what I think has kind of hurt it for me. Sure. Um, and there's just some stuff that's like a little, a little bit too telenovela style shit. But, um, you know, I mean, I, I think up to basically like the last, this is the, this last like piece was like a really bad move where they did a thing where they were like, Oh, let's do f- like six and four episodes or whatever the fuck mm-hmm. for the final season. Um, that I think was a disastrous idea. Um, mm-hmm. just because like my interest is already begun to completely wane. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just kind of thing like, no, like it needed to end that last year. Like that would have been a good time to end it. You still would have been at the top of everyone's mind. And then we could have just been like, what a fun show mm-hmm. uh, and just moved on. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's it's things are we're finally i mean i know you haven't watched the rest like things were finally starting to move quickly like we weren't spending no i've seen a good amount of four and a little bit of five i'm not totally ignorant but yeah i'm talking about seven oh yeah Um, i'm not that far yeah 
you know, it's like it starts to move a little bit faster, mm-hmm. which is good. But it's like we needed to get to this place where like the pieces were moving in an interesting way a fucking long time ago. Yep. Um, and just about everything with like the Boltons and the yeah. Starks, like it just it didn't matter. The rape like, scene was so horrific. Small. Yeah. That was a little like just yeah. stupidly gratuitous and just irrelevant. Like it like because it didn't it didn't make you hate the character like necessarily even that much more. You already hated him. So you didn't yeah. need it. So I was just like, what the fuck is this for? Aside from a director trying to be told that they're edgy. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it was basically a director getting a, you know, wanting to put their fucking stamp on an episode. And it's just mm-hmm. like, yeah, you didn't need to. Mm-hmm. One thing that I would say, though, that you really should watch is the episode that's called the Battle of the Bastards. Mm-hmm. That is one of the best medieval fight episodes I Wait, think I've ever John seen. it's Jon Snow versus who? Uh, versus the Boltons. Oh, God, the fucking Boltons. Yeah, really the good. thing was, man, I was accusing it of being pornographic from like the second or third season. And then I saw that episode. I was like, all right, I, I am done with this. This is exploitative. The thing is, dude, is people like all of my friends who are super liberal and female, uh, you know, progressives, everybody loves Game of Thrones. So how, how can I make a criticism of it being sexist when all my female friends love it? I mean, I can make it, but you know what I mean? Like it puts I mean, me in a weird position. Okay, all right so just i would just say consider the context like the way in which these people are being shown is um as you know as villains and monsters i mean yeah there's also like the odd scene where just like we have to have our tits out for no fucking reason like yes thank you hbo um and that that part is like a little <laughs> eye rolly but i i feel like it's pretty um clear on its on its morality and its morality is not one that uh think it's okay to um, treat women the way that they're treated in the world yep. so i i kind of feel like that that's one of the reasons why a lot mm-hmm. of people have high tolerance for mm-hmm. um things that if that was ambiguous would be uh a lot less a lot harder to deal with um but yeah i mean I, the, the, its biggest problem in my eyes honestly dude is just like as it gets blown up as it gets bigger um it just starts to lose some of its mm-hmm. soul and then um, the ending that I just saw of like the first half of season seven has I, just a twist that I, I just think is the stupidest and, and least imaginative idea uh, that could have been there. Uh, and I, it, I was just very disappointed. Um, so, but yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to wreck it for you. Uh, no, so no, it's fine. It's up. fine. I have, I have, I have a quick observation. I have a, uh, and then a quick thought, and then I'll give you final word on all this. Um, first of all, I want to point out that David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, who were, you know, the producers and writers for the first few seasons, are now working for Lucasfilm first, uh, full time. Um, and haven't been actively working on Game of Thrones for a while. I'm not saying it went to shit when they left and that they're gonna do amazingness for Lucasfilm, but I'm kind of saying that. Um, <laughs> but my, my, my observation is, Tuck, before they even reach the third season, all of my friends who are hardcore Game of Thrones book readers told me the first three books are amazing, and then they went way downhill. So my mm-hmm. my, my final thought, observation, and question to you, and then you can end on whenever you want, is, is it a coincidence that I thought this series started going downhill after the third season based on the books? Or is this my normal theory that almost every series out there, television-wise, is hard to go past the third season? Like, I can't name almost any comedy dramedy or drama out there that has more than three great seasons in them in my opinion including Battlestar including The Office including like literally any show I can think of that does well after three seasons Office didn't have like Office didn't have a season until the second season though like I mean come on 
Sure. Um, okay. But but even yeah, Seinfeld, which didn't hit its stride till season three or four, by season seven they hit their pinnacle, and the final Seinfeld seasons were really not that good and don't age well. And you know I love Seinfeld. I mean, I, I literally can't name almost any show that does well past three seasons. It's extremely hard. Um, and so I'm wondering what, what your thought in this as as a book reader um, uh, of this stuff. No, oh, I never I never read that shit. No, no, no. no. I'm saying as a reader of books and fantasy and so forth, like. You know what I mean? Like you can do the wheel of time for like a thousand books or whatever. And people read it. It's, it, it's, it's harder on oh, TV. Yeah, you maybe got Dune, you got Dune. T- well, no, but that's the thing. It's like that. Shit Dune doesn't do well past three Dune. books. Yeah. I, I yeah. happen to like Dune book four. I don't like five or six, but most well, that, that's, that's how it goes, man. Like people run out of stories to tell yep. and then they're, then they're just trying to write in order to mm. pay the bills. Mm. You know what I mean? Like there's a, there's a point at which like people are actually telling stories and there's a point at which people are, are cashing paychecks. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I mean that, that kind of sounds shitty, but like, it's kind of true. Like once game of now Thrones, you're talking about Vegas, the money. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. what from a different perspective, No, I'm not being sarcastic. That That's why I talk about the money for exactly what you're talking about right now. Yeah. But to me, like I, you know, like I, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I think it's like, it's like, what's its motivation? Are you doing it for the money or are you doing it because you have Here's a vision? Here's the thing. Get out All the, the main actors are in demand for film. And that's why the, they're filming, they're having major filming problems and have fewer and fewer episodes and more and more spaced apart because even Sophie Fucking. Turner is like a huge film star. So that, and, and Amelia Clark, who I happen to love, even though I know Khaleesi has been an uneven character. I, I like Amelia Clark a lot. Um, fine. But, uh, well, right, but my, my my whole point with Game of Thrones is I actually think the actors are better than the material. Like, I yeah, think I, Kit Harrington is going to get a great film role that people don't see coming. I think in Star Wars, he's been begging to be in Star Wars, and now that they've got the double Ds as they call them, Benioff and Weiss working Star Wars, we've already got Amelia Clark, we've already got Gwendolyn Christie. I mean, we've got a whole bunch. We've got Finn Jones as the Iron Fist in Marvel. I mean, you know, Disney is definitely poaching Game of thrones um so i think we could see kit in, in in a big role or any role would be great i loved the star characters i still love them um you know the ones that are left my, my thing here's my final here's so here's how we do it these days i give a quick final thought and then you have final final thought you don't have anything my final thought man is i talk about how i like movies where everyone dies at the end <laughs> like rogue one and children of men but the, the, the thing about all these movies have in common, I mean, Ex Machina ends really darkly, but for the most part, mm. these movies have like a sliver of hope or like goodness in humanity, despite how dark and depressing they are. And that's why I have trouble with Game of Thrones is that I'm not rooting for anybody. I just hate everybody. I think everyone is awful or ignorant or evil or wicked or vile or some combination or just dumb. Um, and let's keep I, watching the show. Just <laughs> keep watching in his ear advice after you said it goes yeah, away yeah, down yeah. Things get things get <laughs> things get more uh, things get more nuanced. I think yeah. I I would just say keep watching it. I I I uh, you know like again like I think that I don't know exactly where it's going and I didn't love where it ended. But once the rest of, once the shit actually like finishes up and it, you have it complete, I just go through it just to see what it was, um, and then I feel like I feel like your thoughts will, will crystallize. Okay. All right, man. Well, I'm going to let you go, but you have final thought. You can talk about Star Trek. You can talk about Game of Thrones. You can talk about Blade Runner. You can talk about Ghost in the Shell. You can talk about Brett Kavanaugh. You can literally talk about whatever you want. So go ahead. I'm not talking about that asshole. Uh, I um, He can suck a dick. Um, or just not be uh, elected 
to uh, appoint into the Supreme Court would be great. So, uh, no, I would say my my final thought mm-hmm. uh, is that we should talk about disco uh, when it when it happens. Uh, if you don't have any you don't have any Trekkie people talking to you, uh, then uh, I'll jump in on that bullshit. And, well, here's uh, the interesting thing. We know that Disco has multiple new, more seasons coming. We know that Captain yeah, Picard I mean. is coming, but they, they have said that they have, in the next couple of years, enough new Star Trek programming so that you can watch new Star Trek like around the clock on the channel. Like, yeah, CBS yeah, yeah, All yeah. Access yeah. is putting all their chips on Star Trek, dude, which I didn't see coming. But again, I also didn't see hundreds of millions of dollars of profit coming to Discovery. So I don't, I am way off on this. The Bizzle Radar, which with movies, I'm usually right on i was totally off on solo i predicted solo would make much more than it made but for the most part my radar is right on with television it is way off and with discovery i have no idea but i'm curious to see what these other shows are and i hope we get announcements soon about them so we can talk about it yeah 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 yeah, me too and well you know i you know let's just you know me i like to sort of you want to do like like an episode by episode breakdown next time or of like the good episodes where we kind of talk about some of the themes and stuff like more more like we did with the matrix or lord of the rings maybe what we do is we'd go in like every two or three yeah like little arcs arclets as i call them yeah 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 yeah. or maybe we yeah mm -hmm. yeah i think that might be more that might be more fun Uh, so this is a great excuse for you and i to talk nerdy stuff more on a regular basis in preparation for the next podcast and I feel, see, and here's the thing. I feel way less pressure doing this than to try to do an in-depth, just, like, treaties on, on actually, like, Ghost in the Shell, like, uh, the uh, series. Because I feel like I really want to, like, re-up it and, like, rewatch it in order to be able to not make a mistake. But on this, it's like, I can just watch that shit and I don't care if I get something wrong about a CBS show. Well, like, I'm, honestly, I'm like, about to embarrass you greatly. Bizzlecast well, listeners, here's, Adam Tuck here's the thing. has here's a thing. master's Wait, in neuroscience and could have been a neuroscientist if he wanted to. And so he is... This, as smart and knowledgeable on AI and human intelligence as anybody out there, which is exactly why I want to talk AI with you and I keep pressuring you to do it. Sorry! Mic drop! Boom! <laughs> <laughs> on your behalf. I can see through... I can. I know in my video and through my earphones <laughs> that you didn't drop a mic. I just want you to know that. I know you're lying to me. <laughs> um, no. Uh, yeah, anyway, yeah. So the, we'll, we'll, we'll find more time. We'll do it. This was fun. We and, will do uh, it. And uh, at some point, yeah, maybe we'll talk about wine. Sometime we'll talk about Adidas. Mm-hmm. Sometime we'll talk about uh, even nerdier things that we yes. shan't go into right now. Yes, I didn't even mention Adam is a graphic designer, senior vice president or something of Adidas these days, right? Sure, what's your, why not? What's your yeah. title? No, sure. that was yeah. it. You yeah. got it. Graphic designer, senior vice president. Yeah, yeah. assistant office man assistant to the office manager. Assistant chairman <laughs> of the vice president designer master. Assistant office man, assistant to the office manager. Um, yes, absolutely, man. It was so great to have you on. Um, again, like I said before, we started recording, or maybe I was recording. You know, doing radio. You're perfect for this. So I would love to have you on anytime. Uh, talking I about anything. To argue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what's great? I mean, what I've learned is Dude, I, I didn't even think about this. Wait, hold on, hold on. I'm going to interrupt you for a second. Yeah, like please. Okay. No, no. Um, I do. I didn't. Time. I didn't really think about this. But you know how I argue with you about like matters of taste. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, oh no, like I didn't like the lighting here. Or, this was cheesy. Or the right, writing Rogue One versus Force Awakens. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my 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 issues are like, oh, the scene didn't go right. I didn't think about it. That's actually this is what I do at my job. 
Like more often than not, every single day, it's just like making judgment calls and being like, I don't like this lighting, change this here, DDD, like let's change that. Like, no, I'm going to retouch it like this or whatever. Like essentially, I have these arguments all day, every day. And um, just Can normally I, about pictures and videos that yeah. are for my company uh-huh. rather than uh, pop properties. Can I give you a quick Jerry Seinfeld bit on this and then we'll close up, which is he talks about in the entertainment and leisure industry that you've got talent, you know, whether it's athletes or comedians or actors, but the majority of people are just having conference calls and meetings and they only care about the conference calls and meetings. The actual art (laughs) is secondary to them, like feeling good at the end of the day. Like, yeah, that was a, that was a good conference call. That was a really good conference call. (laughs) And how the comedians and the artists and the talent hate that shit. You know, they would do anything to get out of like conference calls and meetings and stuff. And look, as someone who worked in the music industry and dealt with the administrative side of things, I completely understand what that's about. You know what I mean? Uh, Commodifying art. And, you know, I mean, the artists don't really appreciate what's going on, but it's kind of true. I mean, without me and Steve Jobs, by the way, by the way, this will be a good way to... <laughs> Steve Jobs hated meetings with... Power, he banned PowerPoints. He banned canned speeches. He forced everyone at the meetings to just speak their minds openly, and he would rip them, but he would let them speak their minds openly, you know? Um, and I'm not asking you to make any comment or discussion about your, your, your corporate culture, but it is interesting, uh, you know, out there uh, with, with the tech cultures and stuff. That's another topic I'd love to talk with you down the road. It's like Elon Musk and, you know, oh, Facebook and Apple and stuff like that. Uh, I don't um, know. We could do that. We could do that too. Okay. No, one thing I'll say about yes. Steve Jobs is uh, yeah. he talks a big game about not wanting to see a PowerPoint, and yet he is the most practiced uh, and careful PowerPoint person in the universe. He's also a horrible like, human being, so he can't take anything at face value. I'm just saying, like, you know what I mean? Like, he didn't want to look at a PowerPoint, but he knew how fucking powerful that shit was. You know what I mean? Like, for his fucking iPhone mm-hmm. uh, reveal, he didn't just go and sit down and talk his fucking mind. Um, anyway, but that's my last thing. Um, um, I hate PowerPoint too, but I, but I just think that's such an interesting hypocrisy on his Absolutely. part. Anyway, I love and you. And you and I are both Mac whores, but we do appreciate the flaws of Steve Jobs and Apple as well. Yes. And I love you yes. too. And thank you so yes. much for being on, man. I do appreciate it. This is a great talk, and I hope to do more podcasts soon and not wait three years. Although we did do a Rogue One versus Force really? Awakens. Well, we did a Force Awakens versus Rogue One like a year and a half ago, which yeah, was okay. you and I talking completely at cross-purpose. This is what I was referring to earlier. We were talking completely past each other. Like, like I was arguing on points that you didn't care about, and you were arguing on points that I couldn't relate to. And it, you know what I mean? Like, it was just... Yeah. Yeah, but that's the taste thing. Like, we agree on almost everything in general, but yeah, with specific movies and properties, we're not going to agree. And you know what? That's I, exactly why I want you on. Exactly. That's what yeah. makes the pod interesting. Awesome. Awesome. So, well, please send my love to, Je- to Jenna Bear. Well done. Um, and I want to come visit you guys uh, okay. one of these days. Finally, because I missed the Northwest. I believe you're still in the Northwest. Yeah, I haven't been installed. You're still on the wine farm with no internet connection? Yeah. Yeah. Um, DSL, baby. <laughs> Dick sucking lips. Um, so, uh. Grow up. <laughs> grow. Ne- never. Never grow up. Never grow up. Okay, buddy. So, um. 
peace, peace, love, and harmony, right? And fuck Trump, I think we can agree on. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah, just, just, just blink your eyes twice <laughs> off screen. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, thank you so much for being on. Seriously, it was, this was really a pleasure. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not being sarcastic. I mean, honest. It was, it was you awesome. Think it was you awesome. were. You said that. I know. But sometimes people think I'm why fucking did you around. Why do that? You ruined the uh, moment. <laughs> well, that's why. No, that's. What <laughs> 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 yeah. That's what girls say all the time. They're like, "You just fucking ruined it." I'm like, "I'm sorry. I was just being honest." <laughs> Well, history repeats itself again yeah, and again. Totally. <laughs> but you won't dump me. You won't dump me, hopefully. I'm for here, for the long, here for the long haul. Awesome, buddy. Thank you so much. Bizzlecast listeners, thank you for joining me. Adam Tuck, been the man. He is one of my closest friends and one of the coolest and smartest guys I know. Thank you guys for joining us so much. Hopefully he will be back soon. Uh, but for now, you guys have been awesome. I have been the Bizzle. He's been Adam. And uh, we'll be coming back at you soon. But for now, the Bizzlecast is out. Yum, yum. Oh, hey. Yum, yum. Oh. <laughs> I told me, told me,